Hi, everyone. Welcome to Frontier Faith, a podcast where it's okay not to know. We like to say it's okay not to know what you believe or why you believe it. We're just interested more in the journey that we have discovering what our faith is as it unfolds in our lives. My name is Nathan Whitaker. My name is Ryan Harris. And today we're going to do something a little different. I know we've been saying that here and there, uh, but we're going to be taking the three episodes that we usually do for a single topic, and we're going to kind of do the same topic as you've already seen, I'm sure, as you uh, start playing the episode, but we're going to take uh, three parts of that, and we're going to be talking about the Trinity. And we're going to figure it out right here today. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and we're going to talk about each person within that trinity the father son and holy spirit and we're going to take our three episodes and we're going to dedicate each episode to one of those persons within our structure and so just if you're following along uh, with our podcast in general you already know that structure but for anyone who may be listening for the first time that structure is that we will talk about our heritage around that person in the trinity we will then start to talk about how some of the cracks showed of how we were taught. And then finally, we're going to discuss where we are now as we continue this journey on the frontier. So as we usually do, Ryan, I want to jump right into this. And I want to ask you how you were taught about the Trinity, specifically the father within the Trinity in your heritage. So it probably won't surprise you to hear that there's a lot of things that I could say about God, <laughs> God the Father, right? Yeah. I mean, um, just as we were talking about this beforehand, I jotted down a list and I was just going to do a few thoughts and I came up with like 10 different things in about 10 seconds. So um, <laughs> obviously not going to talk about all of them. I think the ones that stick out to me the most probably three things, which I think we're going to focus on one of them mostly, but the one that's the three that came to mind were the omnis, right? So the idea that God is all powerful, all knowing and all present, that was a big deal because it kind of enabled God to be God, but also do a lot of the things that God does, whether that's creation, miracles, you know, whatever. I think another one was this idea of God being like maybe it's more about the nature of God the Father in the sense that there was a lot of talk about God being love but also holiness or justice or trying to pinpoint how to understand God and how the Father relates to humanity um and I think that was important because in some way I remember being taught that in some way the father was somehow the head of the Trinity or the the boss or <laughs> the one yeah. that the other members pointed us to, right? So Jesus does what God tells him to, what the father tells him to do. And even the spirit not only does God's will, but points us to Jesus who points us to God kind of idea. That was a very over, very much an oversimplification, but that's okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think those those things were the ones that stuck out to me the most. I'm sure there's all kinds of things you could we could still talk about um, other than that. But I don't know. I, I, I think those three were the ones that I would bring up for what we're doing here today. Okay. Yeah, for me, the the last one is probably logically where I would like to start, because for me, you know, I kind of felt uncomfortable. I'm like, well, we need to establish what it is. <laughs> but uh just so that I think Ryan and I are pretty much on the same page. I'm pretty sure most Christians are on the same page. To just clarify some technology, the Trinity is one God, three persons. The one God is all, it, it can be called the Godhead, especially when we talk about God the Father. Uh, and the three persons, this is all ancient Greek language. And the distinguishing differences between God uh, as God and God as Father, God as Son, God as Holy Spirit, that was kind of outlined for us within the ecumenical creeds uh, in the early church. And God the Father is typically the one we see mostly in the Old Testament. That's how I was taught, at least. Uh, we see more of Jesus in the New Testament, especially the Gospels, and then we see the Spirit 
uh, in the New Testament after Jesus ascends into heaven. Pentecost, Sorry, of course. I, I'm, I'm smiling and kind of laughing because that sounds, I know you don't mean it this way, but that sounds very dispensationalist. And I was always, you know, that's the, <laughs> the semi-pejorative way that <laughs> they would refer to yeah. at seminary, you know, about the kind of stuff I, I approached. But anyway. Well, we would say that's a heresy of modalism, that mm-hmm. God takes different modes throughout history. Um, you know, there's a lot of discussion in Lutheran circles, especially of where Jesus is in the Old Testament. It's usually the angel of the Lord is how we typically interpret that. And of course, God's spirit is within the Old Testament a lot because it All over the place. says, yeah, yeah God's yeah. spirit. But for simple handles, that's kind of the separation most people take when they think about God. And so that last one, I just, I had to, forgive me, I had to do that because it establishes for me where uh, where the common ground is and where the common teaching is for most people. Yeah, and I think, and I'm sure this, I'm pretty sure this was true for you too. I think with the idea of the Trinity, there was always this wrestling or <laughs> incongruity of the idea that these are three separate and distinct persons, yet also God is one. Yeah, Um, right. But that's not to say that there are three parts of God or, you know what I mean? Like there's there's no way to really make that work in in terms of understanding it intellectually. Right. And people have tried for thousands of years. I mean, since Christianity was a thing, pretty much. And um, declared heretics along the way. Right. All over the place. And nobody's really figured it out. And so that's not really what we're talking about. But that idea that while they were separate, distinct persons in and of themselves, they were also still one God. Yeah. And God in this trinity, Trinity, God the Father seemed to be... As you mentioned, the head, the driver, the uh, I think the language of God the Father is like he's the he's the driver. I don't know what to say. He's the authority figure or something like that. Well, yes, in that I think God the Father calls the shots in some way, in that the others seem to do the will of the Father. Yeah. But there was also this idea that like even the things that God did through the other two, they were still God doing them. So like creation is a good example, right? Like you see the spirit present at creation in some way involved, you know, the spirit's Uh hovering over the waters. And yet we're told later, I think it's, yeah, in Colossians, that God created everything through Jesus, right? So like there's some way that, yeah, exactly. So there's some way that like these are all involved in all these things, but the the I don't even know what the right word is, but the impetus or the the creative energy or whatever it is is always originating with the Father, yeah, somehow. And we could spend a lot of time talking about the Trinity. That's not the point of this, the doctrine of the Trinity. Uh, you know, maybe we should do that at some point. Um, you know, always be plugging. If you're interested in that, please let us know so that way we can do so. Because there's a lot of work from Lacuna and others that I just find very fascinating. Yeah, but I don't want to read that book again. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so we don't really want to talk about that. But Ryan's point is is heard well by me, I think, by everybody else. It, it's tricky talking about the Trinity. Uh, you know, we're not proof texting it or anything like that. We're not. Well, good luck. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's not in there. <laughs> and there's a good chance because we are in the frontier. We'll wander into some heresies, but. Uh, so to speak. So to speak. Uh, but that's really not what we're trying to do. We're trying to share our her- inheritance and, you know, how we're grappling with it. So. Yeah, and, and what we're doing here is exploring. So we yeah. aren't landing on any of these necessarily things we talk about, maybe, right. but it's just kind of seeing where where we end up, where we it leads us and all that kind of yeah. stuff. So having done all that, because my logical brain needed that, I missed your other two. I fully apologize. What were the first oh, two that you said? Well, the, the first one was the three omnis, you know, omnipresent, oh, yeah. omnipresent. Omnipotent and omniscient. The good old modern (laughs) philosophy Uh stuff. And then it was the trying to grapple with the father's nature in the sense of love versus justice versus holiness versus whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So my inheritance, we touched on this. You actually said the word, but my inheritance is that God, the father, 
had the will to do what he wanted to do, and his will guided everything. You have uh, Jesus saying that, you know, I'm only here, I'm paraphrasing like crazy, but I'm only here because the Father sent me here, and I can only do what the Father told me to do. So there's like say what, I think say, too, what the Father told him to say, yeah. So there's a lot of uh, influence on God's will in my tradition. Um, We... In worship, we talk to the Father almost exclusively. Interesting. Uh, we do Not so surprising, but interesting. Yeah, we do so through Jesus Christ all the time, right? Because of our again heritage and justification and all that. We rarely talk to the Spirit, but we're not talking about the Spirit right now. Um, we do talk to God the Father almost exclusively, so that's kind of different, I think. In fact, when we were in seminary, people, uh, de- depending on the pref- professors and their hobby horses, they would say, you know, you got to pray to the other parts of the Trinity. But well, I think I did in class one time, pray, like to uh-huh. open it up, you know, prayed to the Holy Spirit and nobody said anything and nobody was like offended, but you could just kind of tell that it was different. Yeah. <laughs> it <laughs> is. Know? It's different. Uh, so I... You know, I, I'll be honest, my tradition didn't spend a whole lot of time focusing on the Father. It was mostly about Jesus. And so I think I, my experience growing up was pretty much that God is kind of, the Father's kind of like a shadow. That's a good analogy for me. Interesting. Uh, he's always there. You know, kind of like weird Santa Claus stuff. We've talked about that before. <laughs> um, but he's a shadow behind the scenes. Um, he's doing things. It, it kind of like felt like he was enshrouded within the heavens, you know? So I have a question. When you sure. say God was doing things behind the scenes, is that all the time? Like even in the Old Testament, God was behind the scenes? Yeah, uh, and you know that's where your omnis really come in too, especially in the present day, right? So God is behind the scenes getting all this stuff done because of His omnipresence, His omnipotency, uh, and so on and so forth. So, and I'm not trying to argue. I'm just, I'm just curious. Did they ever talk about like how does that work with God? You know, uh, basically thundering them to victory. Him, you know, God. God showing up and fighting in battle or God afflicting with plagues or God, you know, whatever it was. Well, so Lutherans have a really, I'll answer the question like in a defensive way and then an affirmative way. The defensive way is Lutherans have a very strong like uh, sense of God working through means because of our sacraments and so Uh forth. uh And so, you know, we, we would say like, especially the plagues, now, other Lutherans might disagree. This is just my interpretation, is that God worked through Moses. And so the focus then would be more on Moses than it would be God. Interesting. Right? Now, that's the defensive way. The affirmative way is that I think most Lutherans would be perfectly comfortable saying that God makes himself known in certain ways. Like, we would point in the New Testament to the baptism of Jesus, where, mm-hmm. you know, and transfiguration, so forth. Uh, those places where he talks. Right. Uh, and so we would be very comfortable saying that God makes himself, uh, he reveals himself through his works or through his words. Uh, but generally, I would say my experience of my inheritance uh, is that, I'm sorry, my experience of my heritage is that he was always behind the scenes. It's interesting because that was never something that I was taught or even really thought about, you know, in, in my mind, not as like, not as an attack, but just like, it sounds so strange to me because, you know, especially in those places in the Old Testament or in the creation of the universe, you know, like God doesn't seem to be uh, the secondary thing there or maybe creation that's the wrong way to put it. Definitely be God at the fore. Right, right. Okay. But like, um, you know, parting the Red Sea or, (laughs) you know, stopping the sun in the sky, whether that really happened or not is not the point. But like, I just mean like all those kind of things seem to be God directly acting. um, And the means are 
God, <laughs> not necessarily <laughs> other things. Although, I mean, sure, God uses Moses or God has means. That's not what I'm trying to say. But like the focus would have been on what God was doing and people's response to that rather than on, say, Moses in the case of the Exodus. Yeah, yeah. And I think there was, but remember, for Lutherans, we always have to get back to justification. Always. <laughs> always. So, that's true. <laughs> um uh, at least conservative Lutherans, or most conservative Lutherans, uh, this caricature that I've built of, of Lutherans. Well, I mean, that's just kind of inherent <laughs> in what we're doing. It's just going to happen, you know? Yeah. Uh, so to focus on God's power parting the Red Sea isn't as easy to shift and pivot towards justification as God using Moses to part the Red Sea. Do you see what I mean? Because I'm being very like horrible to preachers because they do much better at this. But just to well, illustrate the don't. example, <laughs> yeah, some don't. But the example would be, you know, in the same way, if you wanted to pivot right away, in the same way, God used Jesus. Well, we wouldn't say God used Jesus, but through Jesus, just like through Moses, God saved his people through the Red Sea, God saved his people through Jesus. Uh, as they cross the valley of shadow of death, for example, you know, and so we would always focus on God as doing that for justification. And so we would want to focus a lot on who God's working with or through so that we can then focus on how Jesus did that, you know, for us and God worked through him on the cross. Hmm. It's just, it's, it's fascinating to me because that makes sense. But like, just to keep using the example of the Exodus, like that in our world would not have been, I mean, as far as I know, would not have ever been linked to justification. It would have been talked about God's deliverance, like God himself was delivering his people from Pharaoh, you know, and um, they passed through safely because God protected them. And, uh, you know, maybe it even goes to if it's a sermon and God still does the same for us or whatever it is, you know, Um but well, we don't. I don't disagree with that at all, but how does God do that for us? That's what a Lutheran would say, well, and, and then, then it then would be you'd like... say through Jesus, right? Yeah, and so um, all of those things you could say, yeah, God delivered us what? From our sins, not from well, the Egyptians, right? And so... Well, but God delivered the Israelites from the Egyptians, see? But I mean, like, I'm not... It, it's, it's not... It's not important, those kind of details. I think what I I'm just realizing yeah. as we talk about it is that... Um, we don't have that same theology of means in the same <laughs> yeah, way that you right. do. And so it just does not like that kind of thing, as you talked about, it would never have really even occurred to me. Yeah. And I, I wasn't trying to be defensive. I know you didn't take it that way, but uh, it could be seen that way. I'm curious if that's not what you did, since it's hard for me to get there, how would you then focus on the father in such a way that doesn't lead to Jesus as uh, justification taking care of our sins. Let's use the Exodus. What would you okay. do? Well, the Exodus for us would not be a story about justification. Like, it just isn't somewhere we would go from the Exodus, right? I think that it was, until I got used to it, always bewildering to me at the seminary how literally everything turned out to be about justification. And I'm not I'm not making fun. I mean, no. it's just it's it's the truth of what yep. happens within your system is like there'd be times and I'm like, well, okay, that's fine. I uh, cool. You know, I don't necessarily disagree, but like, man, I read this story and I see things about God's power, God's deliverance, God's love. Um can all those things be applied today through Jesus? Sure. But like you know, if I were to do a sermon on that story from any part of that story, I don't know that I would ever even use the word justification. Yeah. You know, because I just we just don't go there outside of passages that talk about justification or I don't know. I mean, there's probably some things in the Old Testament that would like if you were talking about the sacrificial system or, uh -huh, yeah. you know, those kinds of things. Sure. But um, but yeah, like the story of the Exodus for for our example I don't think would, I mean, somebody's probably done it, but generally speaking, would not lead to justification. Hmm. Where would it lead? Well, like I said, I think to, um, you know, depends. Again, remember, there's about a zillion flavors of Pentecostals. Sure. <laughs> right. Um, 
but it would lead to one of those themes of like either it's deliverance or miracles or um, God providing for and protecting his people or um, there might, you know, honestly, there might, the way that I think it might lead or could lead to justification is if it went into something about um, Egypt being linked to sin and slavery, you know, and yeah. like God leading the people out of that towards yep. the promised land. So maybe I'm wrong when I say never, but... Um, it's not your first instinct. No, it, it, it could happen, but I don't know that it it, it would... At, the, at, at best, it would just be one of the many things you could talk about there. Yeah. Huh. So if if I say that God's kind of, the Father's kind of like a shadow, what would be your metaphor, your analogy for well, God? You know, it's funny, and again, not in a pejorative sense, but when you said that, you know what my reaction was? I was like, huh. no way. You know, <laughs> God's not a shadow. God is like, I think of God, especially in the Old Testament, but I think of God as the one who thunders on the battlefield and, you know, aff- uh, afflicts enemies with plagues and... um you know, interacts directly with the people, whether that's in good terms or bad terms, you know. Um, I just don't think of God as a shadow as much as the, like, the all-powerful idea that I was taught, to my mind, doesn't fit well with the idea of a shadow, right? I think more of God as, you know, like God as uh, a lion, right? Or God as um, an avenger or... Any of those kinds of things. And I don't mm. mean Captain America, but like, <laughs> you know, just like <laughs> something like that would be more of my picture yeah. of the father than. Which is not denying that God does work behind the scenes. You know, I yeah. just that would not ever be my first or primary way of thinking about God. You know, I experienced that. Uh, no surprise to you, Ryan. I'm sure I've even told you, but many people probably don't know who are listening that. Uh, this exploration of mine has been going on long before I was in um, the doctorate program. The year before we went to seminary, I thought it would be good. Now, I was, an, I was a jerk, so I thought it'd be good to go to other <laughs> churches to know how they were preaching things wrongly. Uh, but nevertheless, I did do it, and I, I was enriched by it. Uh, I, I think God was working to help me see things I wasn't going to see otherwise. But I say all that because... What was always fascinating to me, we spent a year in Kentucky while my wife was finishing her uh, residency, um, and we went to a lot. I say Kentucky because that's Baptist country. Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, crazy. Not they're crazy. It was like crazy. There was a Baptist church. They're a dime a dozen. All the time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you have like distinctions you don't see elsewhere. Usually it's just like a Baptist church, but they have free will Baptists, this Baptist, that Baptist. General Baptist, Southern Baptist, Northern Baptists. (laughs) It was really something else. But I'll get to the point, I promise. The point is this. uh, When we went to their worship services, they had a lot more songs about God being the almighty, the powerful Mm. and so forth. We don't. We don't typically sing that way in our hymnody, even when we branch out and we t- use, you know, praise band stuff and uh, contemporary music from Christian circles. We typically don't do that. Uh, we always want to push as far as we can into justification, Jesus. And it sounds like that was not a temptation for you. No, but I mean, you have to remember Although Pentecostals tend to focus on power coming from the spirit, like um, they're very much about God giving power. Right. So the emphasis on things like God's deliverance or God's miracles or God delivering from enemies or whatever it was, it makes sense in the sense that they're just kind of keyed to to look for that theme even if today it more focuses on the power through the spirit. But yeah. um, Yeah. Well, and what's fascinating as we kind of wrap up this time is I just made the connection between the omnis and why that's such a, like a key thing for people, because if you have a theology that focuses on God, the father uh, in the sense that we've talked about, that it doesn't get, there's not this gravitational pull to justification, then the omnis become more prevalent in your theology. Like it was there for us, certainly. Um, But I remember even in seminary, it was like, 
no, that's evangelicalism coming into Lutheranism is kind of how some people would say that. Hmm. I sorely, I mean, I emphatically disagree with that. Well, it's just funny given the first part of the creed. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Which you all love so much. <laughs> and uh, r- frankly, you know, you question any of the omnis, which, you know, listen to a future podcast. Uh, we're going to be talking about that yeah. at some point. But you question that and people get really upset, really nervous, really quick, even though it's not like as substantial to our theology as much as it would be for evangelicalism. Yet a lot of the system, whether yours or ours, does kind of depend on those. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Interesting. So that's kind of a little bit of our heritage with uh, God the Father and how we've um, inherited that. Ryan, when did you start to see cracks in that, or or maybe not just cracks, or maybe not cracks at all, but what made you start thinking about things differently? There were a few different things I could talk about here, but I guess just to pick one so we have something to talk about, and because it's the one that's been on my mind and my heart the most lately, is um, I ran into and met some people and had started having um, relation a relationship with one <laughs> who have a lot of problems with and questions about um, the way that God is gendered in the sense of father being male, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, the reason they, and I think I am starting to and probably am seeing it as problematic is because, I mean, there's, Outside of Jesus, who is a man, right, um, there is a problematic as- or idea of applying gender to God, right? Whether that's because God is not human, and so other than human, how could God be male or female in that sense? Um, but more than that, because, I mean, that's very theoretical <laughs> uh, and theological, which is certainly part of it. And I love that. I mean, you don't have to go with just human outside of creation because there's male and female all over the place. Right, exactly. But at the same time, I think the larger concern for me is the way that that male gendered language and conception of God has been used in really terrible ways, especially in regards to the, I mean, centuries of oppression of women, right? Um And that was certainly the case in the patriarchal Old Testament and the New Testament, you know, because they were both very patriarchal worlds. Um, I mean, even to the fact that the first apostles were women, but then couldn't have that. You know, all the men were hiding in the house. (laughs) The women were the first ones to preach the risen Jesus. Right. um, You know, like, it's just, it's, it's really, I've really been struggling with that fact of, is it okay to keep using that conception of God given the really difficult and in I honestly awful ways that that has been applied? Now, I'm not saying that everything about that has been bad, right? We're probably going to talk about that a little later, but just focusing on this aspect, a big problem for me is like, what are we to do with that? Especially in the sense that many people, certainly then, but also now, don't have a positive understanding of the role of father, you know, either they maybe there wasn't one in their life or maybe their father was abusive, you know, Mm -hmm. or maybe they have two moms or whatever it is, you know. Um, So I guess I kind of wandered a bit in that, but just this idea, one of the big cracks for me is like, how do I conceive of God as father even given the language of scripture that talks about God as father, right? But how do I do that given the really awful history that has come out of it or that has that has been part of that? Does that make sense? Yeah. So my question, I guess, is old me would have said, well, that's your problem, you know. <laughs> yes, old you would have said that. Old and me might have said that too. Honestly. Yeah, I, I would suspect you would, or at least you would have been taught to say something like that right. because, you know, truth is truth and God is the Father and so and on and so forth. the Bible says it, so that's yeah. how it is, you know. 
So what made it so that that stayed as an issue for you or a crack or something to handle or to deal with at least in, in that sense of an issue, not necessarily a problematic thing, but what, what made it so that you kept on probing that? I mean, honestly, there's probably a lot of things. I think my dissertation was about female pastors. And so I think that um, certainly made me think about these things in different ways. I think the current way conservative evangelicals view and talk about and treat the issue of gender um, and trans people and all of those things is deeply problematic to me. And so that made me think about a lot of it. But I think maybe even more than those is this idea that I don't believe that God ever wanted this to be something used for oppression, right? Like, certainly God revealed or was understood as father because that was the thing that made sense in the time the scriptures were written. Yet I have to also think that God God sees what what has been the result of that in terms of the oppression of women. And that can't be what God wants. I don't think, I don't think that that is what God wants. And so that given the fact that this problem has not been solved, (laughs) given Mm -hmm. the fact that I think women are still very much oppressed in the church in a variety of ways, even within like my tradition that ordains women to everything, there's still a lot of problematic misogyny and oppression they face. And so given that that's the case, I just, I really hesitate to stick with that because I don't, I don't want to contribute to that same oppression. You know, I think that God desires the opposite in a broad sense, the particulars, you know, are the particulars, but I just, that's what makes me really not just hesitate, but makes me really think that there needs to be a different conception of that. But I don't know exactly what that is, because I also recognize that our language and our human understanding in terms of a person, almost, at least in the conservative world that I was taught, almost requires some idea of gender to be applied to a person, you know. So I think this is, I mean, it's more than this, but it's also a really good example of what living on the frontier looks like. And I want to unpack that a little bit around the father. Um, The way I heard that, at least, and, you know, if you didn't hear it this way, then, you know, we can debunk the whole thing. But the way I heard it was your experiences with the people in your life, whether that would be through a program like the doctor program or other things. It became through those experiences, it became too hard to live with what you inherited. Um, It became too overwhelming and you could no longer uh, say things or think through things the way you were taught to. And yet at the same time, there are no uh, acceptable, exciting, helpful, whatever word you want to use alternatives to living through that. Yeah. Cause there's no, certainly no easy alternative in the sense that I've been trying not to refer to God as he, right. But we could all stop calling God he tomorrow and that doesn't solve the problem. Right. Like I also want to be wary of a bandaid solution to something this big, like, You could almost compare that to we could remove all the Confederate monuments tomorrow and that would not solve the problem of racism. (laughs) Right. Right? Like, I think language is an important thing. It's important, I think, for me to try to use different language um, because I view language as kind of central to the human life, existence, understanding, you name it. But at the same time, like, I've really been wrestling with, well, okay, but what is that? Where does that lead to? What does that leave me with? But I think the frontier piece comes in in the sense that I think in the past, I don't know if I could have explained it to you that way, but um, I think I felt some of these concerns, but because the implications of it led to scary territory, I just shut it down and said, well, that's what the Bible says, too bad, you know, or, well, we don't want to apply our, you know, blah, 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 which gets kind of silly anyway but 
Um, but the exploring part comes from, well, no, this is a problem. And I can't just stay where I was, even if I don't know where it leads me to. Yeah, I think it's the frontier. Why I like the image a lot is because it fights two myths about the religious experience. Um, the first is the light switch myth. And I think that's kind of where I started with this is there's this myth that something happens in your life and all of a sudden there's this light switch and now I'm a liberal or now I don't say God <laughs> right. the Father or I if don't say If only it were that easy. <laughs> right. But there is that uh, usually from people who don't have experiences outside of their their circles, their, their own crafted inheritance or whatever, uh, that it's just a quick switch. The other one, of course, that's more familiar and more prevalent would be slippery slope. Um, well, if you think that, then you're going to think this and then this, and then you're going to slide your way all the way into hell, right? Right. And these days I've decided that the slippery slope is bullshit, <laughs> which might be a slippery slope, I, I guess. But <laughs> the point is like that not only as a fallacy, but that is, I think, often a um, an excuse for continuing yeah. things that are bad, right. you know? A fear tactic. Yeah, very yeah. much. Well, and that's why I wanted to like get there because what I hear is like I'm uncomfortable with this way we talk, this way we think about things because my experiences no longer allow me to hold it in some shape and form. I don't know what that is, but which is a theme for me, isn't it? Right. <laughs> honestly, yeah. like this process for me has been one of when I honestly examine my experiences. Um, my experiences of life, my experiences of God, my experience of all of those, whatever it is, like the boxes I was taught, the, the theology I was given, not, not that it never works or never applies or that all of it has had to change, but some of these, what I thought were very basic fundamentals, mm -hmm. don't work anymore. Yeah. Not, not because I'm trying to be edgy or woke either. But because, like, because those things, the reasons they didn't work is because I'd look around and see how they were hurting me or hurting other people or both. Yeah. And I just, even though I don't know where that would go to or where that leads, like, I fervently cling to the belief that that isn't what God wants. And that God can, God can take, God can take it. He's okay with, like, he's not. See, here I am seeing he, right? See, God is not threatened by <laughs> my exploring, right? Yeah. Could it even and, be that God is leading that part, you know? Like, right. that's that's the idea I'm getting at. Well, and I also want to stress very strongly that just because you avoid saying he isn't saying that you're taking a strong stance either against against your inheritance in this particular aspect now you might or an individual might one might but just because somebody says god and god's self as weird as that sounds sometimes doesn't mean that they're making any stance about how you should feel god or you should view god or talk about god it's recognizing that at that point in time that person might just be grappling with something well and i do hope it I don't know that it does, but I do hope that it does at least make people who haven't been willing to think about it, you know? Yeah. And, like, what if we played with or explored, like, okay, so what can we do about that? Like I said, none of these are solutions in and of themselves. I, I think it has to be more holistic than that. But I, uh, one of my friends one time, she is, um, well, she might be an Episcopal priest by now. We kind of lost track of each other when she went the opposite direction of the country, you know. <laughs> but um, in a program we were doing, she we she brought in a, a psalm that she read as a devotion we were doing, and it was from an inclusive translation. I don't remember the name of it. And it, it uh, used both he and she to refer to God. And it's not that I think there that solves the problem or that there's not any problems with it. And I don't know what their methodology was for how they decided that. But the point was, I appreciated that it was trying to 
wrestle and approach these issues, even if what they arrived at may not have been perfect. And maybe the fact that there isn't a perfect solution kind of reflects the uh, ineffable part of God. You know, maybe we're always going to struggle and grapple with this idea that how do we understand God? Because we can't. Right. Yeah. But also, like I said, not using that as an excuse to let um, harm or oppression just keep happening. Well, I do want to that has not been my experience of the cracks or the issues. But as I've been exploring on my own and I think maybe even with you, I started to discover this when we were at Sim together, like using gendered language for a non-gendered thing like God or an angel or whatever at least logically, I say that <laughs> fully knowing what I'm saying, but at least logically it makes sense, right? God is not a man. Jesus is, but God's right. not a man, nor right. is he, she, a woman. It, God is God. And that's right. why a lot of people use God simply as that way, because outside of God's spirit or God's self, there's Jesus, who is the person, and we can refer that way. So it just it makes logical sense, but I think you've taken it a step further because of your experiences, which right. is the interesting piece of how do you live with that reality and how do you speak that reality. Right. And, and last thing I'll say about this before we move on to some of the things you've been wrestling with, um, I think for me, too, another important part is whether... <laughs> It's going to sound bad. I'm going to say it this way. Whether the conservatives want to admit it or not, there are people who are non-binary or um, don't have a gender expression, at least as at least that's what they um, how they understand themselves. Right. Mm-hmm. In that case, maybe there is a way to understand God in a non-gendered way. I don't know. You know, yeah. like, yeah. I, yes, I said God might be non-binary, non-binary, deal with it. No, um, <laughs> but I just, I wonder, right? No, no conception, no framework is going to work perfectly, but I just would like us to be more flexible and more willing to kind of explore what that might mean or look like. Yeah. Hmm. Um. So I was going to ask then, like, so where where did some of this start to show cracks or maybe fall apart or what made you start rethinking some of these things we've talked about? So it happened in college and in college was the first time I was away from the Lutheran bubble. I had friends generally throughout my life who were not church people. So uh the the ways that they live their lives, the way they thought about things, uh, as an observer, I always like picked up on this. But most of the time, people who are not part of the church don't really care, so they don't, they, right? You know, uh, they don't talk about God in different ways than we do. They just don't talk about God. Period. Um, which is refreshing, to be honest. But in some ways, yeah, yeah. But in college, I started to. I went to a public university where. There were preachers everywhere. <laughs> um, uh, it was very fascinating for many different reasons, but one of them was that a lot of preachers used areas of scripture that Lutherans do not use. Of course, right. Uh, and we talk about, you know, there's the canon of scripture, but uh, you get very technical and theological studies. There's a canon within a canon. There are personal canons and so on and so forth. And so Lutherans have a particular canon that we use. One of the easiest ways would be say we don't like James. Um, of course actually, not. I love James because yeah. boy, if Lutherans need to hear anyone from the <laughs> Scripture, it's James. Uh, that's funny. There's a lot in those four little chapters. Yeah, uh, but generally our canon doesn't include James. It focuses more on Romans and Galatians and Ephesians and. Paul. <laughs> uh, yeah, Paul and the Synoptic Gospels. We don't really like John too much, although there's movement right now from the experience I had as a kid to seminary. There was definitely movement. A lot of people like John now. Right. Um, and so the Old Testament, when it came to the Old Testament, we didn't we always have an Old Testament reading and I don't use the lectionary in my church, so I don't really know where it pinpoints. I would suspect uh, some prophets, but it would be Isaiah primarily. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we spend some time in Exodus, of course, because of Moses and other places that are more safe. 
But when I got to college, I started to hear God saying some pretty terrible things from preachers, hmm. not because the preachers were jerks, although some of them, some of them were. were. <laughs> yeah. uh, it was actually scripture, scriptural uh, references. And, you know, as you were talking and as I we we were figuring this out, you know, what would be my emotion to that? Since that's a, always a hard question to ask of my past self. But I think I was uh, I felt indignation. I don't know what the actual verb of that is, but uh, I felt indignation that I wasn't told about these other parts of God. Um, interesting you mean outside of the just justifying part right outside of the well genesis would be a big part too now that i just think about that um but yeah outside of the safer parts of god so you know we had sunday school stories so david goliath uh samson all this stuff daniel in the lion's den so and so forth those were the things that we typically spend time on because uh those were the things that are in our lectionary uh, and then prophecies for Jesus, of course. Um, and, you know, as somebody who logically or let's say cognitively hates being surprised by knowledge, by information, <laughs> Ryan's laughing because he knows that it's true. better it's than true, most. Yeah. <laughs> I hate it. it. It creates such anxiety within me. And especially when it's something really close to me and I get new information and I'm like, I feel like I was unprepared for something. Oh my goodness. It's the worst. It's the worst feeling I have. And that was kind of what I felt when I started to realize these preachers weren't being jerks. They were saying God's words. And I started to think to myself, man, this guy's to use the metaphor from before. He's more than a shadow. Hmm. Um, and in fact, uh, you know, just because of the way exploration works, I started to lean heavily more on the stuff that God did that was awful or supposedly mm. said that was awful than uh, more balanced or more whatever approach, uh, let's say guarded <laughs> approach that I inherited was a guarded approach. So I didn't really go that route. And, you know, the classic example, I think, is in the Psalms where the psalmist, I don't know, is it David? It could be David that uh, says to bash the kid, the little baby's heads against the rocks. Um, I, I don't know if it's David. It's somebody in there. It would know. fit David, to be honest. But yeah. um, and that's just an example of it. There wasn't like a story behind that, but it was just like God saying this. Mm. Uh, I started to have real problems with God the Father uh, because. Uh, of all those aspects. So there's the aspect of me personally hating to learn something and being caught unaware. And so there was that whole emotional charge behind that endeavor, however long it took. But also the fact that, <laughs> that it's very clearly in scripture, there are these things that uh, God says and does. And I started to wonder, like, if, if this is God's will, well, where, why is Jesus there? Is that a correction to his will? Because I had been told the entire time that God's will is constant. That's kind of one mm -hmm. of the omnis, you know? Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if it literally is an omni. I'm not into that. But uh, certainly that God's will was always from, what, uh, Genesis 3.15, I think, the proto-gospel, um, all the way to probably even before that, that God was working towards the salvation of all people mm, mm -hmm. so why dash babies heads against rocks if your yeah. goal is salvation in in light of that idea the the canaanite genocides become real difficult to square yeah yeah, yeah. a lot of things start to become problematic right you've got moses coming down from the mountain and they're <laughs> worshiping the cow and then what hundreds of them are killed uh yeah. Or the, the um, rebellious ones getting swallowed up by the earth, uh, right. the sons of Korah, you know, like those kinds of things. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So I really, that's that was a very, I think it's a common experience for people in, in college. Um, and it was pretty typical. It started to move away from the faith and move away from my inheritance, certainly, uh, my heritage. Uh, but that was the biggest piece for me. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that is kind of 
I don't mean this to be reductionistic, but I think for most of us, at least most of us who don't go to the same kind of college in a system that we were raised in, right? I think most of us tend to do the, a lot of us tend to do that kind of process in college, even probably the people who aren't particularly religious, you know, there's this idea that you are like, you're out on your own for the first time, probably you are uh, becoming your own person. And I, I think that it makes sense that that would happen theologically too. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's pretty common. Most people, uh, I actually have this weird fascination of listening to people's stories that uh, become, uh, by their own testament, non-Christians or atheists or all sorts of things. And that is certainly something that I think to the person, minus a few here and there, they will mention that in their um, description. I was going to say litany, but that sounds too disparaging. Depends on the person, I guess. Yeah. and it's almost always there because, uh, quite frankly, I think we were unprepared for that as people growing into our faith. Well, and I think, and this is not our main subject here, but because, you know, these questions about those same passages would come up in our in my church, and I'm assuming yours too. But what my experience always was with those questions of how could God do something like this, there was always some kind of textual hand-waving, some better than others, but that was never satisfactory if, well, God didn't actually do that or in some way they deserved it, which I never could quite. Oh, gosh, that was all the time for me. Yeah. Like, you know, it was about it was actually about this. And that was just an after effect. And I'm like, dead babies are an after effect. You know what I mean? Like, even as a a teenager, I was never could never quite accept that. But I I just, you know, I had to accept it because if you know, that's how the Bible works kind of stuff. You Um, know, but I, I think I think. A lot of people who either were Christians and aren't anymore or outside of it, well, they don't feel the same pressure to try and do that. Yeah, you're sparking something in me because I remember like the logic of that. So the logic would be um, God didn't necessarily say that to command it, but that that I like that after effect, because I think the logic behind it was if you let evil happen or if you partake in it, then um you get what you get type thing right it's just it's yeah like like it is god working justice was usually how most of the answers would boil down for me anyway the ones i heard um but you know but we don't have to go into them all but it's not hard to come up with questions about like what really you know um <laughs> well the that, challenge that don't for make me, sense yeah right the challenge for me was although that happened more often than not in my tradition, what people would do is say, well, you know, it was more like a magician. You know, don't pay attention to this hand. Pay attention to this hand. <laughs> right, right. And over textual he- hand waving. Yeah. Well, it wasn't textual for us. It was theological. So it was okay. like, don't pay attention to what God's doing over there. Pay attention to how God revealed himself through Jesus. Right. Which is hard for the the, the dead Canaanites to say. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> no. Right. Assuming... Yeah. Well, anyway, we've talked about how scripture works in other episodes, and we don't really need to get into that here. But just the fact that those kinds of things were, I mean, that was part of it for me, too. I just I focused on the other one. But yeah. yeah. Well, I think like to move to where moving forward, the, the Bible does come into here. And again, it's one of those things where I'm still thinking through it. But mm-hmm. The way I kind of moved into seeing God, because Jesus kind of likes his father. It, it seems like in scripture that he's he's pretty happy to be part of this trinity. And one of the things that I never really could get away from was Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, he He's because of who he is. I mean, most Christians will say that'll be enough for them, right? Uh, because of who Jesus is, it's really hard to move away from Jesus, which is just the beautiful joy that we have as Christians. It's it's always hard to get away from Jesus. It's easy to get away from God. It's hard to get away from Jesus. Hmm. Um, But what I started to think through is, okay, well, if Jesus is kind of keen on this guy, then, then what's going on? You know, what's going on with this? And biblical interpretation was part of this. And I'm not taking any stance. I'm not going to hedge too much, but just for anyone who's listening that might get uncomfortable with this, I don't know where this is yet. 
But it doesn't seem too far of a stretch for ancient peoples to talk the way that we see God talking. Because if you look at ancient peoples, even within, uh, and I'm not trying to be classist here, but within educated people who are writing down certain things, they will write terrible things about people, like, and just very glibly. You, I studied history in undergrad. I, I eventually got to modern history, but part of the component is ancient history, and so we talked about, you know, the battle. Uh, it's escaping me, but the battle from the movie 300 uh, with the Spartans. And, yeah. And the Spartan War after that, the Spartan-Athens War, mm-hmm. um, thirty not 30 years, that's Protestant, the Hundred Year War and more. And, uh, you know, the famous historians that are writing during that time, they're just saying the worst things in the most, most matter-of-fact way. And that's- Sure. I mean, like, you know, Luther had some terrible things to say about the Jews. The early Pentecostal leaders had some pretty bad things to say about race. You know, like it it, it doesn't, that just seems to be part of it. Yeah, People, right? People do that today. I mean, we don't need to talk about it, but the way that people are talking about race and gender, as you talked about a little bit earlier, it's just awful sometimes. And I started to experience alongside a lot of this the human element much more than the divine element. I started to lean more on the humanity of scripture, the humanity of Jesus, the humanity of interpretation. And I started to see, or at least I started to ask myself, okay, is it possible that the psalmist, at least is it possible that the psalmist said something that God said in a specific way that wasn't what God verbatim said? Hmm. Is it possible that people took God's words. <laughs> I'm laughing because it's, of course, possible. Is it possible that God used, or people use God's words to do terrible things, even I mean, as God's people? Certainly, we never do that. Yeah, right. Yeah. So as I started to realize that that was possible, in in relation to this conversation, all I all it did for me is it started to say, okay, Jesus kind of likes this, this God fella. Um, that's possible about how people use God. So then I just started to ask myself, where are the places that I see God uh, in the light of who Jesus is? Mm. And I'll give one example, and then I want to ask Ryan how he's developing this. But the example, the clearest example for me is actually one of the very earliest examples in Scripture. It's after Adam and Eve uh, get expelled from the garden. And they're ashamed because they are naked. And God, of course, earlier said, who told you you were naked? Which is such right. a funny question, you know, Yeah, because uh, we know it so obviously. Um, and they're ashamed, even though, which is just as a side, very fascinating because there's only two of them. So, <laughs> And we are the only animals who are ashamed in that way. Yeah, very fascinating. Yeah. Um, lots, uh, lots of fun stuff you could do there. But what was fascinating about and what I started to look for was how God was compassionate. And here he was. He doesn't tell them, well, you don't have anything to be ashamed about. I created you this way. I made you man and woman. And that's how it's supposed to work. In fact, Adam, I don't know if you remember, but when you saw Eve, you were like, yeah, this is great. Mm. I love having Eve around here, you know, bone of my bones, that kind of thing. So um, to speak. Yeah. Wow. Sorry. <laughs> I knew you were going to do that. You want. No, it's, <laughs> <laughs> I should have said flesh of my flesh, but, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but what God does instead is he gives them clothing. They have no idea how to make clothing, right? Because uh, it's not part of their experience. Of course, they're smart. They'll figure it out. But he gives them clothing. And, and God the Father, whatever that means, he's compassionate in that moment and says, I'm not going to shame you even further and tell you you shouldn't be ashamed. But I'm going to say, here, here's something to help you right now as you're going through. And, you know, it's it's hard because it's during this time where he's being they're being expelled and all that. Cursed and all that. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of difficulty there. But at least in that moment, it's like. Huh, God meant them where they were with compassion, and I started to look more for those moments. Yeah. Hmm. So how about you, Ryan? How how have you moved forward with uh, gender 
uh, of the father, if you will. Yeah, I, um, you know, I, as I probably, you probably figured out from when we were talking about it earlier, I don't have it figured out yet, (laughs) but I think, and I, I hope this is not something I use too much, but I think for me, the way forward right now is to not just acknowledge that tension of not knowing what to do, but really leaning into it in the sense that that story that I say haunts me from the Bible in the same way that Jacob grappled with God and wouldn't let go, you know? Mm -hmm. And so what I'm trying to figure out how to do is I am trying to be honest with God, not just about um, my questions of like, how does this work? But also my feelings of like, how how terrible it's been that this conception of God has been used that way. I don't mean in the sense of that I'm accusing God or blaming God for it, right? Because as we were just talking about, I think it's more that people have used God badly than that God is um, culpable, you know. Mm-hmm. But I think it's, I'm trying to be honest with God. I mean, I think whether God's all-knowing or not, like I said, future episode, I do think God knows our hearts. And I think God knows how I feel, right? So in that sense, it's like, God, like, we need to really, (laughs) in a sense, we need to fight about this, you know, not argue. We need to wrestle. And I'm I'm not letting go, not necessarily until you give me the answer. Because I don't even know... Like, I don't know that that's not what happened to Jacob, right? Jacob was changed from the experience. New name, uh, he had a limp (laughs) afterwards. But Jacob fundamentally changed after that experience of God. And so what I think I'm trying to do is, God, in respect to this issue, you know, whether I want to or not, you know, I'm a man. I've contributed to some of this patriarchal oppression of women, you know. I try not to, but it I have, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. God fundamentally change me. <laughs> you know, change my heart. Help me to see where this has happened and help me see how I can help, you know, um bring be a part of healing for that and a way forward. And I know that maybe that sounds like uh I'm just trying to use the Bible to dodge the question, but I don't I don't think so. I think what it is is an example of of how I think we should all try to experience God in the sense that it's not just, um, you know, that experience with God shouldn't be comfortable. You know, there are, there are problems with uh, C.S. Lewis's Narnia thing in terms of how it portrays God. Mm-hmm. But one of the things I like is when they make very clear to you that Aslan is not a tame lion. Yeah. Right. There's something uh, like like there's something about that that I don't want to try and tame God. So, you know, um, as much as I wish, I often wish that the wrestling part was over. <laughs> you know, can I limp <laughs> away now, God? Can I have a new name? Can I you know, the thing is, is like, didn't Jacob wrestle all night? Yeah. Like it was a long time. It, it wasn't was. a it wasn't a quick God flicked him over and it was done. No. Not because God couldn't have done that, but because there was something about God wanted to do that for Jacob. Yeah. So if I were still preaching, there's a sermon in there somewhere, but this idea is that is what I'm looking for, and not just in regards to this. But like all these questions we've brought up, it's like, okay, God, so what, right? Like what gives like, and not just what gives in my mind, but where do we go from here? And that is a process, I think. Um, It's that walking in the dark part, uh, which is not the way I was taught to do this. And so it's a, it's a difficult thing. It's a painful thing, like I said, but I think that's what we want, I think. It's not what I want, but I think it is what we want, (laughs) if that makes sense. 
we never really know where our conversations are going to go. We kind of scratch down some ideas and we just, uh, I think it's because Ryan's a Pentecostal and he's shown me the value of letting the spirit work that we do it this way. Um, we see what unfolds and this one has been very impactful to me, I think. And I want to thank Ryan. I want to thank you for listening. I hope it's been helpful for you as well. Join us next time as we talk about Jesus Christ. And then the following time, we'll talk about the Holy Spirit as we live out on this frontier. For any suggestions you have, any comments, any stories, especially those things that resonate with you or those stories that impact what you've heard or vice versa are impacted by what you've heard, uh, please share those with us at FrontierFaithPodcast at gmail.com. And we look forward to reading all of those and engaging with you as we are on this frontier together. And as always, we want to close by reminding you, it's okay not to know, not to know what you believe, why you believe it, to just enjoy this moment as best as possible, to work through this moment as much as possible as you live on this frontier and do so knowing that you are not alone. And I don't know if I'm going to do this all the time or not, <laughs> but I just want to encourage all of you that I encourage you to grapple with God, you know, like Jacob did. I want to encourage you to, to struggle and um, strain <laughs> and to let God change you in whatever way that looks. 